Well, good morning, Covenants. As Jill mentioned, my name is Whitney. I serve on staff here at Covenant. I serve as the director of mission. And I'm grateful to be with you all today. Friends, today we are wrapping up our series in the book of Luke. We have been in Luke since December. So I'm excited for us to run through this finish line together today. If you've got your Bibles, friends, we're gonna be in Luke 24, starting in verse 36, going all the way through to the end of the chapter. Let's read now, hear now from the word of the Lord. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in, the na- in, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here until the city, until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was with them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we ask that today, as we consider the transformation that we read about in the disciples, from terror and sorrow to joy and proclamation, God, that we might consider our own transformation today, individually and Lord as a church. Teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God is in the business of transformation. And we know this, we know this because we've seen it all throughout scripture. We see it when we look at somebody like Moses. We find Moses as an adult, he's in the desert, he's an agricultural guy with a terrible speech impediment, yet he encounters God and he is transformed into this leader who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt, an incredible transformation. Let's consider Apostle Paul. When we first meet him, his name is Saul and his chief goal is to persecute and murder Christians. Yet he encounters Jesus and he is transformed. His name changes and his job changes. His entire life is spent proclaiming the transformative love of Jesus. Transformation happens all throughout scripture and our text today is no different. We watch these disciples go from sorrow and terror to joy and proclamation, all the while Jesus walking them through it. Let's consider what that might mean for us today, friends. 
When we first meet the disciples, the, the heading in my Bible says that Jesus appears to them behind locked doors. These disciples had just been through unimaginable heartbreak as they watched that their savior, their friend, their brother, their leader was brutally murdered. They were filled with sorrow and grief. They also were terrified because if they had murdered Jesus, what were they gonna do to them? So they did what any of us would be inclined to do. They isolated themselves and they locked the door. They were not interested in the world beyond them, outside of that door. They weren't interested in it. It was terrifying and they were filled with sorrow. Yet we see that Jesus, he shows up to them anyway because the locked door is nothing for Jesus. He shows up to them, he speaks peace to their terror, to their sorrow, and he graciously, faithfully moves them along. Friends, when you and I face sorrow, when we face grief, oftentimes we find ourselves isolated, just like the disciples. We lock the door, hiding away from the world around us. But this scripture is an encouragement to us that Jesus faithfully shows up and speaks peace to our sorrow and fear. I think it's also interesting to consider that this wasn't just an individual. It was the group of disciples. Here these guys had been called to be fishers of men, yet they found themselves holed up, terrified of the world around them. Jesus shows up, he speaks peace to their terror and their sorrow, and he moves them along. This is a good word for us as a church. Sometimes it can be tempting to want to put walls around us. The world can feel scary and terrifying. It can feel safe within this. We can want to lock the door and keep the world out there and stay in here where it feels comfortable. Jesus faithfully shows up behind whatever wall it is we want to put up, speaks peace to our fear, and then just as he does with the disciples, he sends us, because the call of the disciples wasn't to be isolated behind locked doors. The call of the disciples was to go. It was true for them, it is true for us. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The next thing we see is the disciples begin to express doubt. And like, understandably so, they'd just seen Jesus murdered, yet here he stood before them, flesh and blood, of course they had doubt, but Jesus doesn't get mad at them. He's not frustrated with their doubt. He shows them his physical evidence, but then he points them to scripture. It is in scripture where their minds are open, they begin to understand, and their faith is buoyed and made sure. Friends, this is a great reminder to us that when our faith is unsure, God will point us to his word. It is how we know him, it is how we grow, and it is how we fight our doubts and our fears as we find our anchor in the scriptures. I don't know about you, but that's not always the first place I go when I face doubt. Yet we see that that is where Jesus points the disciples. I recently came across a term that I had never heard before. It was new to me. The term is gospel fluency. And if that sounds like extremely Christian-y to you, it, it is, That's, that it is, it's a very Christian-y term. 
Here's kind of what it means. It's the question of how fluent are you in the ways of Jesus, in the character of God, in how God works, and in the fullness of Scripture? How fluent are you in that? It's a fair question to ask a Christian. It's fair to ask that question. As I learned more about this, I learned about these four stages of fluency. The first stage of fluency is unconsciously incompetent. It's kind of this idea that like, you don't know what you don't know. So uh, I studied abroad in college. I, I went to Spain. I began my Spanish adventure in stage one of fluency. I was absolutely unconsciously incompetent. I considered all kinds of things before I left to go to Spain. A language barrier wasn't one of them. I considered the boys I would meet. I considered the adventures I would have. I considered that I would be old enough to drink wine. I did not consider a language barrier. I quickly moved to stage two of fluency, which is consciously incompetent. (laughs) It's that moment where you're all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, I don't know any of that. When I got to Spain, I quickly realized that I knew two words in Spanish. I knew hola and I knew baño. (laughs) But in Spain, baño doesn't even really mean bathroom. It means bathtub. So when I'm in a bus station and I'm looking for a baño, I'm in, I'm in trouble, because who takes a bath at a bus station? So, so I, was, I was consciously incompetent. This is probably where some of us land when it comes to gospel fluency. We realize that there's a lot that we don't know. The third stage of fluency is consciously competent. It's where we are working, we're growing on what it is we want to be fluent in, but it's not something that's natural. We have to work at it. This is like, it would be generous to say that my Spanish even got to that point. There were parts of my Spanish that I felt pretty okay in. Specifically, I was confident when it came to food. I could really talk about food. If you took me out of a food scenario, I was in trouble. Uh, and, and so I, but if, if I had to speak Spanish, it was absolutely exhausting for me. I would sit and conjugate verbs. I had to think about it. When we're consciously competent, it's not something that comes naturally. Friends, when we think of our own gospel fluency, if we're consciously competent, it's this idea that there's kind of us and there's kind of Jesus, and we will dip over here into that, but it's not something that just flows together. Which leads us to the fourth stage of fluency, which is unconsciously competent. This idea that it is so natural to us that we don't even think about it. It's just like breathing. Friends, if we were fluent in the gospel, unconsciously competent in it, it would just fill and permeate our lives. I pray that we may be a church that would get there. If we were a church that was fluent in the gospel, all of a sudden, all these different questions that come up in our lives would be made crystal clear. The question of of should I be generous with my time, with my money, with my resources? When we're fluent in the gospel, the answer to that is always yes. Undoubtedly, the gospel will always point us to generosity. The question of should I love my neighbor 
whether I, I like them, whether I agree with their lifestyle, whether I like where they're from, when we are steeped in the gospel, the answer to that question is always yes. Love your neighbor, undoubtedly. When we're sitting in our car at a light and someone is coming towards us holding a sign asking for help, the question of do I look down at my phone and pretend they're not there, do I acknowledge their humanity with a wave and a smile, the answer is undoubtedly always acknowledging them, at least acknowledging them, if not rolling down your window, asking their name and how you can pray for them. The gospel will never call us to ignore someone who is asking for help. Thank God Jesus never does that for us. We're covenant to be a church that was fluent in the gospel. It would transform us, it would transform our church, and it would transform our cities just as we see that it transformed the disciples. Next, we see the disciples be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells them that he's going to send the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he sends them to proclaim. He sends them to go, starting in Jerusalem and going to the ends of the earth. We've just watched them go from a people who were hidden away in their sorrow and fear, inward facing, to being transformed by the scriptures and being sent with power. This was the call for the disciples and it is the call for us. We are called to go. So what does that look like? What does that look like for us? What does that look like for covenant? Let's, let's look at that. Who? Who is called to go? Well, friends, you. You are called to go. You are, I am, we are. To be in Christ, to follow Christ, is to be sent by Christ. If we think that a full picture of church is what we're doing here today, and don't get me wrong, this is so good and right for us to be here. It is good and right for us to gather, to sing, to worship, to come to the table, to confess. This is good and right, but it is not the complete picture of church. This should be where we come and we are so filled with the goodness of Christ that we cannot help but go and proclaim it to those around us. And if that is something that makes you uncomfortable, then good, because the call of Christ is not for us to be comfortable. The call of Christ is for us to be transformed. And transformation rarely happens under comfortable circumstances. Who is to go? You, my friends, are to go. So where, where do we go? What does that even mean? We see throughout scripture that God has a heart for the city. We see it in Jeremiah when the Israelites are desperate to leave Babylon. Yet God tells them to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which you have been sent. We see it in, in Revelation when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. He can make it look any way he wants, but what does he create? A city, because God loves people. Friends, we have a city outside these doors desperate to hear of the transformative love of Jesus, and we get to be a part of that. We are called to love our city, but not just the parts of our city that are easy to love. 
When we think about our circles of wherever it is we live, work, and play, oftentimes those circles are parts of our city where it is easy to love. If your circles of live, work, and play don't overlap with those who live on the margins of our society, then our circles must grow bigger because that is where God calls us, to the parts of our city that are not easy to love, to love poverty, to love those who are orphans and who are widows, to love those who are homeless, to love those who live on the margins of our society. Our circles must grow bigger. Where are we called? We are called to our city and to the ends of the earth. So when, when are we called to go? Now, it's always been now, but now covenant is uniquely placed in a time when we are ready to go. The debt has been paid on our building and our vision is clear. We are no longer, we no longer have an excuse to be inward facing. We are called to face outward, to be transformed by the love of Jesus and to go and proclaim that to the ends of the earth. The time is now. So how, how do we do this? Friends, when our lives have been transformed by the gospel, when we have a life that is fluent in the gospel, it will permeate everything we do, from waving to the person on the side of the street and acknowledging their humanity, to caring for our neighbors. But if we're, if we're realizing that our circles of live, work, and play aren't overlapping with those folks who live on the margins of our society, if we're challenged to think, how can my circle grow bigger? Covenant has incredible partners who have been faithfully doing this work in our city for years and years. And you are invited, you are sent to participate in this work. You can find out about all of our different partners by going to our website, clicking on the serve link, serve in Austin, you can read all about them. We would love for you, your family, your small group, your Sunday school class to find a way to jump in with one of our partners. Because our call, friends, is to go. This week, may we consider our transformation. May we consider where we are in this process. Are we inward facing with doubt and fear? Do we need to be buoyed and transformed by scripture? Are we ready to be sent? May God lead us because he has called us. We are a sent people to go and to boldly proclaim wherever it is that we live, work, and play and beyond. Amen.